Good morning, everyone. It's, it's good to be here again. It's been about a year and a half since I last had the opportunity to speak, and I'm really thankful to be able to be here today and do that again. And uh, the title of uh, the message this morning is Be a Missionary Today. And uh, we're going to look at a couple of different things. Um, I think I have a brief outline on the next slide. I'm going to share a little bit about who we are and what we do. My dad asked us to share that. And then he also asked me to give just a really gut-wrenching sermon. So I'm going to try to do that in the, next, in the next part when I talk about why we do it. Um, and then I'm going to try to apply some application. That's a lot to get through in 25 minutes. I'm going to do it the best I can. I've tried to distill everything down to just really get at some of the core nuggets. So hopefully it'll go well. And so we'll launch right in. Um, we'll start with who we are. So I've got a picture of my family up on the screen. Um, again, my name is Brandon. My wife is sitting down here. Her name is Juliana. She's a partner in all that we're doing. Then we have two kids, Oliver, who's in the nursery. My mom won't let her go, so he's a great little boy to hold, but she won't let anyone else do that. She won't even let me do it. And then <laughs> our four-year-old, Michaela, is downstairs probably teaching the other kids how to do ballet, even though she's never had a lesson. And so that's my family. We work with all nations, and uh, we're an organization, but we're also a family of churches. We have people and we have teams in, uh, gosh, it's more than 35 countries now. We're all over the world. We're in the U.S., in Africa, in Europe, in Asia, in the Middle East. And we're all focused, and we all come together around this idea of church and uh, that the church can and will bring the kingdom of God in places where it's not yet, and it's really powerful and transformative when it does. Our mission statement is to uh, make disciples and train leaders to ignite church planting movements in the neglected spaces, and that's what we want to do. That's how we live our lives. That's what we orient ourselves around, that idea. My wife and I are based in Nairobi, Kenya, and we're strategic coordinators for the work in Eastern Africa. That means that we look out and uh, look at the work in both Kenya, Uganda, Ethiopia, um, Somalia, Tanzania. I've got invitations for the next year into Rwanda. And uh, we're really wanting to look at nurturing and discipling and coaching the work that's going on among indigenous leaders there. We've been in Kenya for two and a half years now. Our first block of time, about a year, was spent, spent really intentionally focused on learning language and culture. We can't tell you how important that is. It's so important to do anytime you go into a new space, but it's also really hard and it's really boring. We spent five hours a day in language class and nothing kills mental energy more than trying to learn a new language for five hours a day, uh, at least for me, I'm not a linguist. So that was our first year, and since then we've been able to transition a little bit more into the work that I really feel like I thrive in, and that's uh, focused on discipling indigenous leaders and coaching and mentoring them to really be able to build into and pour into the emerging networks of churches that they're working with. I have a couple of pictures on the next two si slides if you just want to go through them. Um, so this was a training we did in Uganda this past June. Wilson, the tall guy on uh, the uh, left end, uh, 
He's the key guy I'm working with in Uganda. And uh, he's just doing amazing things there. And on the next slide, we have a different training that we did back in May. And if we go to the next slide, this is a map of our growing network. I've spent a lot of time over the, over the past really three months trying to map out and see what's actually going on. I know it's probably hard to see. We have a better map and a brochure that we have out on the table out there. But red dots are people, blue dots are groups, and the black dot in the center would denote my wife and I and what we're doing. And so the red dots that we're directly connected to are these indigenous leaders that we're discipling. And you see, there are just a few of those, but what those people are doing is just incredible. Um, the one that looks like a solid circle of blue dots, um, that ha that's happening in Uganda. And one of the leaders that I'm discipling in Uganda, uh, he and another guy went to a group of drug dealers and pimps. And uh, he said, uh, um, let's start a Bible study. And those guys did. And within a month, those guys had given their lives to Christ. Uh, they were actually a part of the training in the first picture that I showed you. The lead guy, his name is Ghost. He goes just by a street name. Um, one of the other lead, lead, lead guys, his name is Bullswaga. They just go by their street names. We don't know really any other names. But they've completely given up their life um, of dealing and prostituting and doing the other things. And just within the span of from about mid-May to mid-August, they had 40 groups started among um, the drug dens uh, outside Kampala. And so it's just amazing to see all of these groups are coming together to study the Bible. Many of these people have left uh, drug dealing and other things, and it's beginning uh, to change things. If all of these people continue to do what that initial group did, if they take the gospel everywhere they go, you know, Uganda and Kampala will change. And so we're really excited about what the Lord is doing. Um, practically, I spend as much time as I possibly can with those that the Lord is highlighting as key leaders. Um, this means we have them and their families into our home whenever we can. We, uh, uh, I travel with them. Uh, starting this past year, I made a commitment not to ever travel on my own, but to bring one of the guys that I'm discipling. That way we have more time to interact, but I can also push them out to lead in some of these trainings and some of the different things that we're doing. Um, and we regularly communicate. Even though I'm in the States right now, I'm having WhatsApp conversations with people and emailing with other people. And uh, it's just this constant flow of connection, however we can, to really be able to pour into these emerging leaders' lives. Um, we also strive to engage a locally um, unreached refugee population in Nairobi, the city that we live in. Is this being recorded? Does anyone know? Is it being recorded? Okay. So that's all I'm going to say about that for the moment. Um, yeah, so that's something we do locally to engage ourselves in mission. It'd be easy to get caught up in the travel and the other things, but we want to stay rooted in mission where we are. And uh, we want to have some sort of local expression, even though we spend a lot of our time going outside of Nairobi. And then uh, I regularly travel to the various pockets of work to help teach and train the second and third and beyond generation of leaders as they're being raised up. 
um, the training and the coaching is an ongoing process. It's not just something that it, you do once and then it's done. It's something that you have to keep coming back to. There's lots of things to work on. There's worldview transformation. There's the raising up of leaders. There's um, biblical understanding of what ecclesiology is. There's this, that, and the other. There's always opportunities to train and coach, and it's a regular practice that we have to engage in. So that's the brief nutshell synopsis of who we are and what we do. I want to transition now and talk a little bit about the why we do it, because the why is really the important part. That's what I hope will connect you all with the heart of God. I hope this, there'll be something here that you can latch on to and take with you as you go about everyday life this week and every week following. And so we're going to start with the why, and it all begins with the love of God. It begins with how deeply he loves his creation, especially with how deeply he loves me and how deeply he loves you all, and how deeply he loves the refugee who has lost all notion of normal in their world and are just struggling to find some sense of safety and security for their family and children. It begins deeply with the love of God. We see if we look at the creation story that it says over and over again, God says over and over again, this is good. We see it in Genesis 1-4 and verse 10 and 12 and 18 and 21 and 25 and again in 31. In 31 it says, it is very good. God loves his creation deeply. And we see in Genesis 3 that unfortunately things get messed up. Adam, Adam and Eve eat the fruit. Evil rushes into the world. Sin seems to dominate our existence. We become disconnected from the heart of God and what he's doing. Rather than worshiping Phil, worship filling the earth, it's our problems and our heartbreak and our fear and insecurities and so on and so forth that seems to dominate existence here. But the Bible ends and history culminates in a city where creation is reconciled once again to God. We see this in Revelation 21 and 22. The love of God is filling the earth once again, and we once again know it. So we want to look at that in-between space, between the garden, between the city, where things seem so broken. The love of God doesn't change. He still deeply loves us. His desire is for his creation. And he longs for his creation to know him. If we look at Habakkuk 2, I have the verse up here. It says, For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. So he wants knowledge of who he is to fill every aspect of this earth, like the waters cover the sea. There's no place that water doesn't cover the sea. And that's what the Lord wants the earth to look like. He wants his glory to fill every single space. Because he loves us so deeply, and he wants us connected to his heart. So we see the tradition of mission starting in the Old Testament. It starts actually in Genesis 1 with the command to be fruitful and multiply. That was probably the most fun mission will ever be. All it was was procreation. 
Um, unfortunately, sin messed that up in Genesis 3. But we see God's heart for mission remain. If we look at, uh, I have some things listed on the slide. We see in Noah, Noah is called out for salvation when the rest of the world is deemed as wicked. God hits the reboot button, but he saves Noah and his family. You see that in Genesis 6, 7, and 8. We see in the story of Abraham how his uh, lineage would fill the earth and be a blessing to all of the earth. Look at uh, Genesis 22:17 17, and 18 as a starting point for that. We see in the story of Moses how he was called out to confront Pharaoh and bring his people away from Egypt. Exodus 3, you'll find the story of the burning bush where Moses really interacts with God about that initially. We see how Israel is, is established as an alternative kingdom. It's supposed to be set up as a city on a hill, an example for all of the other nations of the world. We see in Jonah, one of my favorite books of the Old Testament, how he is called to Nineveh to call Nineveh to repentance. And Jonah hates that. He hates the idea of that. He tries to run from God so hard that God sends a big storm, gets Jonah thrown overboard, fish swallows him up and spits him up at Nineveh. And then he begrudgingly goes and calls Nineveh to repentance. But he hates every step of it. But God still moves. Nineveh is saved. They repent. And then we see God sending the prophets to ancient Israel. We see the stories of Isaiah and Ezekiel and Hosea and Joel, some of the other prophets that you can read about in the Old Testament. God's always been a missionary God. He's always been a sending God because he loves his people so deeply. It didn't start in the New Testament. It started at the very beginning because his desire has always been for his people and for his glory to fill the earth. But things do change in the New Testament. An unlikely baby is born. It is seemingly conceived outside the bounds of marriage. It's born in the most humble of places. It's born into a family that's forced to flee because of the danger of a repressive government. Yet this baby changes everything. Everything, once again, changes because of God's love. And as he grows, Jesus shows us what being human is all about. We kill him for it, but that act, that sacrifice, reconciles all who would believe once and forever. Love changes everything. And that leads us to his charge to us. We call it the Great Commission. It's in Matthew 28, 18 to 20. You have the Brandon version up on the screen right now. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go and make disciples of all nations. Baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teach them to obey everything I've done, and know that I'll always be there with you. That's the Great Commission. That's what drives us to do what we do. And it was something that was given to all of the disciples of Jesus. Not just me, not just my wife, 
but all of us in this room who would claim the name of Jesus, who would claim to be disciples. This is something that should play into deeply who we are and what we do. And I want to look at and unpack the Great Commission just a little bit. We see four key commands in it. The first one is go. Jesus says to go. And this is one I want to spend a little bit uh, longer with than some of the others because it's really important to understand. I think we get go wrong all too often. Go is not about picking up and selling everything that you have and hopping on a plane and flying to a country uh, 12 hours away. That's not what go is about. We have that in our minds, and yeah, that's what my wife and I have done, but that's not what go is about. Go starts with where you are here and now. It started with the here and now for my wife and I when we lived in Norman, Oklahoma, and it starts for all of us where we are now, where God has us. A better translation of go would be as you go. Because we go all throughout life. We go to supermarkets. We go to restaurants. We go to coffee shops. We go to malls. We go to libraries. We go to soccer games. We go to schools. We go all over the place. Maybe we walk through our neighborhoods. We go. And discipleship and mission is about everyday life. It's about as we go. It's not something we have to pick up and drop everything and move to Africa or move to Asia. It's about as we go. It's something we can all do. We all go outside the bounds of our home, be it the workplace, be it shopping, be it whatever. It's something we can all do, and it's something we all should do as we go. And as we go, we're to make disciples. I think this one is really key as well. We're to make disciples. This is more than just uh, evangelization. It's more than just sharing the gospel and then moving on. It's about really getting into the nitty-gritty of life with people. Discipleship is a whole nother sermon. I'd take about a week to teach on it normally out in Africa, and we don't have that sort of time this morning. But we should be making disciples. We should be intentional on what we do. We should be grabbing the hand of someone next to us and saying, hey, come with us. Let's explore life together. Let's see what Jesus is doing around us. And we're to baptize in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. We're to baptize as a symbol um, of what we're accepting. We're saying, I follow Jesus now. I'm entering his kingdom. I'm dying to my old self, and I'm being reborn into a new kingdom. And we're to teach. And this teaching one is one we often mess up as well. We often have it in our minds, especially in the West, that teaching is all about sharing information. But the command of the Great Commission is not to teach information, it's to teach obedience. We're to teach people how to obey, not teach people to know. And we often mess that up. It's real easy to teach information. You know, you just need someone to stand up and preach.
preach at them for a while. And that's information. But obedience is much harder. It involves experience. It involves actually doing something. It involves getting our hands and our lives messy as we try to work out what it means to follow Jesus. But it's so key to the life of, dis- of a disciple. Jesus says repeatedly in the book of John, if you know me, uh, if you love me, you will obey my commands. So teaching obedience is really key to uh, the life of mission. So I want to talk about what we can do today. I want to talk about how we respond. And so it starts with making mission a priority. We've got to make mission a priority. We've got to stop seeing it as something that someone else does and see it as something that affects the here and now of of life. We can all be missionaries. We all should be missionaries. Yeah, some of us may be called to go to crazy places um, because the need is real in those places. But mission should be a priority for all of us in the here and now of life. And so there are different things that we can do. Often for many of us, it will start with getting to know your neighborhood and practicing incarnation. Incarnation is this notion and this idea that uh, Jesus stepped out of heaven and came and he took on flesh and he became man. What we see in the beginning of the book of John, the word made flesh and moved into our neighborhood. And that's what we need to be doing. We need to be uh, getting out of our skin, getting out of our comfort zones and not being afraid to go and interact in places we may not normally go and really get to know those neighborhoods, really get to understand those neighborhoods, get to understand how the people there live, um, what makes them tick, what makes them who they are, so that we can then see the blood of Jesus bleed into the cracks of their cultures and their societies. So we need to get to know our neighborhoods. For some of us, that starts with the neighborhoods we live in. Um, It can be really hard in... uh, a context like America, to know your neighbors. We struggled with this in South Africa and the place we lived because everyone had walls around their houses. And it's something that you really have to work at. Um, But you can go, you can do things like we would call prayer knocking. Walk around your neighborhood and knock on doors and ask how you can pray for people. Just something simple like that to get to know who your neighbors are and begin developing a relationship with them. And we've got to remember that it's an as-you-go. It's something you work into your everyday life. If you go off into the same coffee shop, begin getting to know the people that work there, the baristas. If you go to the same restaurant every Wednesday for lunch, get to know the waiters and waitresses. Wherever you go in life, keep in mind that mission is a priority. Pray before you go to those places and ask God to highlight anyone that he may want you to talk to. And step out and don't be afraid to disciple. There's um, a women's mentoring meeting today after the second service. And for all of the women, I would encourage you to go and get involved with something like that because that's a really important aspect of what discipleship is. And discipleship changes places. So be running to things like this mentoring group. 
because it will really um, breathe new life into mission and what you're doing as a church community. And listen to the quiet voice of God. If you're in the checkout line and you feel some sort of plug to ask how the checkout lady is doing, do it and then pray for her if she has any needs. Just in whatever you're doing in life, listen to that still voice of God in the quiet of your heart and follow after anything that he might say. And then welcome opportunities to engage people that don't know Jesus. If you find out a new refugee family has moved into an, into an area, try to engage them. You know, there's a lot of talk right now about Syrian refugees, and they are some of the most open people in the world to the gospel. We have had crazy, awesome encounters with them um, in different spots across the world, and their lives have been completely torn up, and they're searching for some sort of truth to hold on to. And if uh, people that follow Jesus are willing to actually go to them and share Jesus with them, they will listen with arms wide open and probably give you a wonderful meal as well. So look for those opportunities to engage the people that don't know Jesus. Be they Muslim, be they atheist, be they Hindu, Buddhist, whatever. Look for the opportunities and engage them intentionally with the words and the heart and the way of Jesus. So th those are just some of the ways you can make mission a priority. There's massive opportunity for mission within the scope of America. Like I said, you don't have to go overseas. You don't have to come to Africa. We would love people on our team, and so you're welcome to come and join us, but you don't have to. You can be on mission here and now. And that's what I want to leave you with. That's what I'm hoping you've connected with, that mission can be a priority for you here. You don't have to do what we're doing, we're doing very specific work in a very specific place because of a very specific call of the Lord. But we can all do things where we're at. So that's what I want to leave with you with today. Thank you all for being here and listening. Thank you all that have been praying for us. We really appreciate it. Um, it's really been a joy to be back with you. So I think... I'll hand it back over to my dad.